Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys know where to follow me at on there, so I'm just going to keep plugging the YouTube channel at Seahawks Man to Man on YouTube. We appreciate the love on there. Even if you're someone who listens on audio, just hit the subscribe button anyway. Uh, that's good for our numbers, you know, so we appreciate that. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It is your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206. And I have exciting news for you, Mike. What's that? We have officially reached. Oh, we hit 1,000? We're at 1K subscribers. So we want to thank all of you out there because now this allows us to do something simple and cool, which I think you shouldn't have 1,000 followers to do this. But now we can interact with you and comments and we can create a community. It's, It's a lot better now, but... I really don't understand why they made us wait to get to a thousand. They could have gave this to us at five hundred, because right. now Mike can give you updates on the YouTube channel. That's that's dope. It'll be cool. It'll be it'll be like a live feed. So basically, anything that Mike tweets, I can put on the YouTube channel so that our subscribers can know right then and there breaking news, whatever happens. So I don't know why why we had to wait up to a thousand, but we are at a thousand. So again, we want to thank every single one of you out there that are subscribed to our YouTube channel. The Doug Baldwin interview is up there. So go tap in if you haven't. Oh, it's yeah. a really good, really good interview. So please go and check that out. But without further ado, we have to talk about some football here. And um, as you can see on the screen, if you're if you're watching on YouTube, it says why it's an end of an era. Hey, Mike, why do you think this is an end of an era for the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah, I think that's really important to talk about because um, everyone watched the game. You know, we're we're, we're recording like uh, the day after the Seahawks lost to the Washington football team. They lost 17 to 15. I think that's the third straight loss or something like that. Uh, yeah. The team's three and eight. Their chances of making the playoffs are about 1%, depending on which uh, site you use. 538.com is around there. I think ESPN's Football Power Index has them around something very similar to 1%. I haven't checked Football Outsiders and their metrics, but once you're around the 1% range, like it's start time and looking forward to the draft. Problem is, they don't have a first-round pick. So, yeah, (laughs) I understand. I wrote about this in The Athletic. I understand why the players in the building and Pete Carroll are like, look, we are going to believe. And I think it starts with three people. Pete, he's got this whole always-compete attitude. Fine. That's cool. He'll ne- he'll never think that there's not a chance till there's mathematically like literally not a chance. Cool. Russell Wilson, neutral thinking, staying uh, like, you know, positive thoughts, you know, self-talk. Um, like, I think that's part of who Russ is. Now, I think I know that's part of who Russ is. So he'll never give up either. He said it on Monday night. He was like, look, I don't know any other way. I don't know how to think another way. And that's important. Bobby Wagner, he's a similar way. He's his is more spiritual, I think. Um, he's really into meditating and yoga and just being present in who you are as a person. I think he's religious too. But like the point is, those three people are the three leaders in the building, and those three are never going to give up. 
And so that just trickles down to everyone else. That's cool and fine. Like I wrote on Monday night, we don't have to do that with them. We don't have to. Because Chris, man, you know this is a wrap. We're keeping uh, it a buck. <laughs> yeah, and I think everyone else, everyone else, is t- there's no reason for anyone else outside of the building to think like they think logically. Like there's too much evidence to the contrary. And that's why after, so after the Packers game, I think we talked about like the offense might be broken, right? And that was after they scored zero for the first time without Russ. And I thought that was a very good time to suggest that it's broken. And then right after the game, uh, uh, the Arizona game, I tweeted, the Russ and Pete era was fun while it lasted. And while a lot of people were like, yeah, it is. Some people were still like, Mike, what do you mean, man? We could still beat the Washington football team. We can go seven and no, 10 and seven gets. I'm like, guys, I'm not pulling that type of sentiment out of my ass, right? Just because I don't attach it to a quote or a story or an anecdote doesn't mean that like it's a just a thought I just came up with in the press box sober because there's no beer allowed uh, in the Lumenfield press box. So that's when we get to the Washington football game. Or yeah, them playing Washington. It's like, guys, I don't know how much more you guys got to see to know that this is a wrap. And when I say this, and I tried to spell it out in a tweet last night too, I said, there's specifically, when I mean end of an era, there's no reason to have Pete, John, and Russ in their same roles next year. There's no reason for that. But I want to focus on two people before we get into Twitter questions, because I think we've. this is probably one of our best batch of questions you could tell people are really aligned with where the theme of the show has been for the last month or so. On the Pete side of this, it's important to note that this is the season, while it's bad, this is the most games they've ever lost with Russ. Um, they have eight losses. They lost seven in 2017. Although you can argue that if there was a 17th game in 2017, they might have gone, they might have lost eight games that year too. Uh, but anyway, the Pete thing, it's not just, oh, Pete's had one bad year with Russ. Why blow it up? Right. Because I think if you look at it in a vacuum like that, it's like, that's a fair question. Like, Mike, this guy's the winningest coach ever here. He gets one bad year, and you think it's the end of the era with the best quarterback in franchise history. How do we get there? Overreaction a little bit? Hell no. Here's why. On the Pete side of this, remember, Pete controls the personnel. That's very, very, very important. If there's a draft pick you think sucks, Pete pressed a button on that. Maybe he didn't do all the scouting on that or whatever. He pressed a button on it. So if you don't like the Jermaine Effetti picks or the specifically the defensive players, I would lean towards being a Pete thing. LJ's and and Malik McDowell's and give me some more bad defensive players they've picked. Delano like, Hill. Delano yeah, Hill, top 100 pick. Um, Tedrick Thompson. Tedrick was like pick 111 or something like that in that range, early fourth, I think. So, yeah, Tedrick, Lano, um, like I said, LJ. You know, I think Jordan Brooks is still coming into his own. Like that's Jerry's still out. Cody Barton. Yeah. Cody Barton, Marquise Blair, guys who are taking, these are all top 100 picks. Well, this is where you build guys. This is where you find guys and that, that you're blowing that. And then you talk, you talk about some back end stuff that hasn't worked either. And why they've, the trades they've made, the contracts they've given out, the contracts they haven't given out. Like if you're upset with the roster as it's constructed, if you watch the roster at any point and go, man, we can't, defend a screen we can't and look at that that's a roster decision they had the best screen defender in the league they didn't KJ sign right the guy they used to replace him spent like two months of the season not knowing how to cover screens right and even yesterday washington ran a bunch of them so i think that like that's those are things you have to point to it's not just oh they're they're bad this year or even mike pizza defensive coach and the defense is figuring it out sure 
but they've had to figure it out because they've been asked to start the last two seasons, like historically bad. Every, for the first four weeks, the first six weeks of the last like two seasons, you keep seeing stats like, yeah, the Seahawks are giving up the most yards since the such and such. And it's usually like the one of those bad Saints teams or something like that. Like they've been historically bad and had to just become elite just to get in like the average range. And so like those things, again, fall on your head coach or personnel um, for the philosophy, the whole bend don't break thing having to make all of these trades to make up for these picks. Like if the Lano Hill pick or the Marquise Blair pick worked out, they wouldn't have needed Jamal Adams. They wouldn't have needed Quandre. I like both of those players, but they needed them because of previous failures. Like that doesn't mean that you're doing your job right. And I think that's, those are Pete things. Like how they got here where they're paying guys like Kerry Hyder and Carlos Dunlap and Carlos can't play more than nine snaps in a game or something like that. And the only time you see him on screen is when he's committing a penalty or knocking a pass down, not sacking the quarterback. What does he got? Half a sack uh, this year. It's I think it's one sack, Mike. Oh boy. Well, I'll well, put the, it this way. He's not playing well at all this season. I'll say that much. Yeah. Not, and, and Yes, you're, you're right. And I think that it's it's stuff like that. Like, I like the Carlos trade. Uh, the Carlos trade was really good. I thought the extension was really good. The problem is you needed to do those things because of what you weren't getting from guys that you drafted. Like, if, if Rasheen Green ended up being a stud, although shout out to him, he, had a, he probably had the best play of the day, uh, like, in that Monday night game. But, like, if he was, like, real deal stud, like, oh, you're going to be, like, number one pass pressure TJ Watt type of stud, you know. Um, which is hard to find in the second round or whatever he was picked, third round. But if he was going to be that, you wouldn't need Carlos. Right? If, if Malik Dow panned out, you wouldn't need to trade for a Sheldon Richardson. Like all these things that they've had to do to mask the way to build a roster the fastest way and the most cost-effective way, which is through the draft. Once you miss on draft picks, your whole team-building philosophy is screwed. Then you have to go to free agency. Well, the Seahawks don't like going to free agency to pay guys. And when they do pay guys, they pay the wrong guys. They give guys like Luke Jokel $7 million. They give guys like Greg Olson $7 million. Or Eddie Lacy give him a, a contract um, instead of, like, uh, you know, rolling with guys like Mike Davis or or uh, J.D. McKissick or whatever. Shout out to J.D. McKissick at the revenge game. Like, these are all roster moves that get you here. You know, they spent two years not being able to run the ball in 2016 and 2017. Whose fault is that? 2016, they drafted three running backs. Chris, trivia, can you name the three running backs they drafted in 2016? So Marshawn retired, and they took three backs in 2016. You can't look it up. Was it? 30 seconds. Oh, shoot. 2016. I want, yep. Was it Christine Michael? Uh, Nope. Timer and start. I'll give you 20 seconds. I don't want too long. Dang, who was it? I don't even remember. 2016, three running backs. And clearly, nope. they, Thomas Rawls is one. Nope. No, because they picked him up in free agency. Jeez, I don't know, Mike. I can't even name you the three guys that they drafted in 2016. The and impact was none. Is the point. Like, they they you, they drafted three dudes in the same draft. Uh, I'm pulling it up right now. I, I thought I knew the answer off the top of my head. If you'd have said them, <laughs> I would have known. Um, but if I would have said them. The three were C.J. Prosize. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, C.J. Prosize was one. He was a 90th Cap- pick. Dang it, okay. Alex Collins was the other one. He was picked with the 71 in the, fifth, in the fifth round. And then Zach Brooks out of uh, Clemson in the seventh round. I would have um, never got Zach Brooks. I'll be honest. And so that was their like post Marshawn plan, right? Like it was to load up on running backs. None of them panned out. Well, Alex is like the starter now, but he had been on a couple other teams and had to come back. Um, and even then, they're still not good at running the ball. 
uh, Alex didn't pan out. CJ obviously didn't pan out. And then you get Chris Carson in 2017, and that's like kind of half panning out, even though we like Chris. And my point is, again, these are roster things. Like the team can't run the ball right now. Whose job is it to draft linemen who can run block and draft running backs who can run? Basically, Pete's whole run scheme is like, if we have Chris Carson, it works. My man, you cannot build a run scheme around having relying on having Chris there. That's just what it is. His availability has just not been there. He's been on IR like four times in five years or something like that. Like he, he he's just not there. These are roster things. So when you get to like, well, Mike, why give up on this now? It's like what's what it took to get here is important. We got here because of failures on failures on failures. And obviously there's good roster moves in there too. The Quandre Diggs move was fine. Um, what's some other good ones? I like the Dwayne Brown trade. Uh, what else was good? I thought the Clowney trade was good. I was going to say that, but I, I backed up. <laughs> yeah, the Clowney trade was fine. But you don't even need to do the Clowney trade because of the Frank thing, right? You know, like, and then Frank makes the Pro Bowl and his team wins the Super Bowl for reasons that aren't because of Frank. But Getting Carlos Dunlap last season was, that helped. Just hasn't helped this was, season. And that was because they chose not to, you know, sign any pass rusher in free agency really <laughs> other than like Benson and, you know, I think they came back with Brandon Jackson that year before he hurt his neck in the training camp. Like, they just basically haven't been make the investment. Then it's like, oh, shoot, now we have to make the investment mid-year. Not sustainable. They're trying to build a roster in unsustainable ways. And it left them with three draft picks um, in this last draft class. And none of them are going to really – Trey's already out for the year. They don't – they're allergic to throwing D to ball or putting the ball in his hands, really. And then Stone Forces haven't played at all on offense this year. So it's like – these are roster things. It's been trending downward for a while, specifically in the draft. Um, and I think that is where, you know, the Ziggy Ansah contracts, there's a million contracts. Like I said, Eddie Lacy, Jokel. Um, there's just been these all these bad decisions that have led to having to fix stuff with other moves. And I think that's where, up from the Pete side, of why you would give up so soon. It's like, that's why. You're controlling the ship. And the ship has slowly been sinking. Now we're just getting to where, like, your ship is sinking on national TV a lot more, so people will care. Right? And that's so that's that's the the pizza. I feel like I'm missing a really big move that they did that was positive that I should give them some credit for. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it drafting DK was good. You know, I think that was a that was a good. Is move. it good, Mike? Because they're not using DK. Uh, yeah, that's the that's another thing we'll get to. But yeah, like th- that was a good draft. They've done some good drafting. Damian Lewis, good draft pick, but like burn pick fifty eight on Ethan Posick in 2017. Like it's just too many misses versus the hits to, to, to like sustain a dominant roster. Uh, and the, the rust side is pretty, something we hinted at last time. Someone asked about it. I think in the Twitter questions, they asked about like, if you take a 17 game sample or something like that. So going back from 2010 against the Ram, the a week 10 against the Rams to, I think the, it was up to the Cardinals game. Like, that's a full year of, including the playoff game against the Rams, it's like a full year of tape on Russ and numbers. It's been pretty bad uh, in that in that run. And I think that is where, on the Russ side of this, there's, like, no reason for you to continue with Pete. Because Pete, it's his job, if you're going to have Russ, here's, how, here's the best way I'll do this. If you're going to have Russ, your job is to have a really good running game Right, because that's you know that's the play action thing. Like you, you, Russ needs that, right? Russ needs a running game too. He just does, um, at least to be a championship caliber player consistently. Needs a running game. He needs a really good defense. 
So there's just no point in having Pete there if he's not going to build those things over time and then have Russ. Now, if you get another quarterback who doesn't have the same, like, needs, like, every quarterback could use a good run game and a good defense, duh. Um, but, like, some guys need that. You know, like, I think, like, Jimmy Garoppolo needs that. Russ is better than Jimmy, but, you know, you get the point. Um, although Russ hasn't been much better than Jimmy in the last year or so. Um, so I think the other thing about Russ, while well, it's like, all right, cool, you have these things that you need to succeed. You know, you need, you know, a certain type of schemer. You need a certain type of run game. You need a, a competent defense around you, right? All right, cool. If these guys can't bring that to you, then why why should you guys still coexist? Now, I guess you can be like, all right, get rid of Russ or get rid of Peter, whatever. I don't care who you get rid of. I think the point of this now 15-minute spiel is that it's not just, oh, Russ is having a bad year, oh, Pete's having a bad year coaching, so let's just blow it up. No, this is a, this has been building. For Russ, it's probably been building for quite some time since they've, um, I think 2015 was the last time they were really good on third down, and they just kind of not been good, and now it's just going to hit rock bottom. Now they're like the worst third down team. But they've been trending that way for quite a bit. You know, Russ has been trending towards not being – elite at least since last year um and then change the coordinator out and nothing changes actually it gets a little gets a little worse right so it's like all right it's not the schemers it's not it's it's, it's more of like the what's being built around russ so there's a it's two it's those are two most put i got four fingers up but those are the most important people in the organization uh russ and pete there's really what we're seeing now and i wrote this as well it was just a nationally televised version of the inevitable. This was always going to be this bad. If you talk to people, and when I tweeted this, I said, "What's how bad they are on offense is not totally unsurprising depending on who you talk to. And I meant mm -hmm. that. There are people that – someone sent me a quote um, from like 2013 um, being really critical of the same things they're bad at now. And it was like, look, we can't run – we can't move the ball – we have way too much talent on offense to not be able to move the ball. Teams are uh, knowing we want to throw deep, and we got to be able to counter that. And these were all quotes from like 2013 and 14. When the team was winning, people were saying these things. People in the building saying these things. It's like these aren't new problems. They just aren't being masked. Is that how you say it? Masked? Yep. I mean, yeah, they aren't being masked. There you go. By a great run game and a great defense. And if if you're Pete and you ain't giving Russ a great run defense, or you ain't even get Pete, if you ain't giving Russ a great run game and a great defense, what do we have you for? Um, now, if you want a new quarterback, sure. But like I said, there's no reason to have both. That's why it's the ass, man. That was way too long. But I think that that's the part people are missing here. It's like you have to, I, I think that's on us, or mostly me, because I've been the one saying, hey, the era is over. Well, why is it over? Well, because it ain't just this year that has been trending toward this you don't just magically get this bad you don't you build towards being this bad and now it just happens to hit rock bottom because russ's finger ain't right chris is hurt again and their defense has no pass rush i guess a lot of stuff chris that's pretty bad monday was like a big old shit show but a very predictable shit show depending on who you talk to the last like year and change the writing was on the wall good way to put that it's unfortunate that it's come to this, but you can slowly see it. There was the comment of Russ has never been hurt. There's going to be a time where he might go down. Unfortunately, it was this season. It all just piled up. The Seahawks are winning close games last year by one point. 
They're yeah. losing all those close games. Everything flipped. 2019 too. 2019, a lot yeah. of one-score wins. That's not <laughs> sustainable. Yeah, it's all the things that everyone clamored and was happy about is now turned on them. And that's just how it goes sometimes. It's it's football. <laughs> not every not you're not you're not going to be the Patriots every year. They had something built in the system. They rolled with it and they were able to win, 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 win and win. The Seahawks haven't had that success consistently since, you know, what? 2014, 13, that was kind of like the last hoorah. That was kind of it. The 2015 Seahawks are really good. Okay, 2015. Yeah, so yeah, it's been yeah. what? My math serves six years. Yeah, I, I ain't counting on this on air. Yeah, <laughs> all that. Yeah, it's been it's been a little bit though. To your point, yeah, they have to do something. And you saw what the Patriots did. They said, you know what, Brady's leaving. We're gonna go draft. They did it that way. You saw what the Packers did. We're gonna get rid of our coach and stick with Aaron Rodgers. There are two ways to do it. Personally, I don't think Pete is Bill Belichick. I, I see it more as a Green Bay scenario. Mike, you touched on I think, two weeks ago. I think the Seahawks should keep Russ. Why? Because Russ is still an elite quarterback. I get it. He's not playing well this season. If you go look on the timeline, well, you're not going to look at the timeline. If you we were on Twitter yesterday on Monday night, you saw a lot. Oh, bench him. Get Geno in. Okay, you have Geno in there. They wanted Geno last night? Oh, I, I saw oh, a lot man. of tweets clamoring for Geno Smith. And in my head, I'm thinking – if you put Gino in, you have basically said the game is over. You, That's you, basically, you can't go back to Russ if you put Gino in. That's the problem with doing that. I'll get there with that. You're going to punt on Russell Wilson, who I told someone on Twitter, I, I said, I don't want them to run the ball. Just do play action. And Sam even said this with us last week. He said, just play action the whole time. I don't care. Shout out to Sam Gold. <laughs> do a play action. And you saw what happened. A play action pass that was completed to Ty Locker for 50-plus yards. Cool. Keep doing it. They went back to it every now and then, but I'd rather the Seahawks continue to play action pass it than to keep trying to run the football where it's going nowhere. And if you want to give up on a rush, you won't have that opportunity to tie the game with 15 seconds left. Gino, I don't know if Gino's leading them 96 yards. He, he had could. an opportunity. He could. He, he had did it against the Rams. He did against the Rams, but had another opportunity against Pittsburgh, and we saw what happened. T.J. Watt made a big play. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's not going to get it done, but I'd rather stick with Russell Wilson, who I was confident was going to lead them down the field and get a touchdown and then get a two-point conversion. Unfortunately, Kendall Fuller made an incredible play and was able to stop that. But I was not going to give up on Russ because he's having a bad game. And it's going to be crazy. If Russ leaves, if Russell Wilson leaves the Seahawks, I kid you not, if he goes off on another team and then is back to old Russ – the Seahawks fans are going to be really upset. They're going to be hurt. They're going to, cause now you're going to have some quarterback, whether you draft one, whether you trade for one, that's not going to be the guy, not a hall of famer. Probably not. Is he going to get you 10 wins? Think about it. Having outside of this season, you're getting 10 wins with Russell Wilson. He finds a way this year. I, it's not happening. It's just not going to happen. I said eight, and nine, Sam gold said six and 11, Mike didn't want to give an answer. <laughs> I still don't. It's a week-to-week thing. Week-to-week <laughs> Look thing. at that. It's a week-to-week thing. It I is. You all... never know who's going to be on the team, who's going to be healthy. You know. Never <laughs> I know. say all that to say that play Russ throughout the rest of the season. He'll figure it out. I don't think he's going to have a 
I don't know how many bad games he has left because I didn't think he's going to have a bad game against the Washington football team. Sure, you look at the stats. He throws for 240 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. You say, Chris, how is that a bad game? If you watch the game, they should have won that game. DK, get him the rock. Ty Lockett could have got him the rock the more, more. They try to run the ball. It didn't make any sense. The, the game plan was a mess. It was over. I don't know what else to say anymore. I think it's time to get the Twitter questions. It's just been a really, really bad season, and it was a bad game. They have an opportunity against the 49ers, but I don't I don't expect them to to win that game, to be completely honest with you. I, I, I don't see how they can get it done. Everything is a mess right now. The only the only positive I see right now is that the defense is figuring things out. The defense is playing pretty damn good football. Sure, they gave up 17 points to Taylor Heineke and that Washington football team. The run game, they got torched a little bit. 29 carries, 117 yards. He was a he was just running it. They were giving it to him in and out. But at this point, Mike, the season has been over. I thought, to be honest, I'll be probably one of not too many people that thought the season might have been over after Russ hurt his finger against the Rams. I'll be the first to admit. I didn't. I was like, damn, this might be it. No Russ for a month. I don't see how they're going to win. Looking at the schedule, too, that was tough. And it showed. They went one and two, and then Russ comes back. They haven't won. There you go. Yeah, I could. There's one thing I want to throw in there before we get to the Twitter questions. I, I could see a world where Pete's on a new team, and Russ is on a new team. And both of them excel in those particular in those in those new teams. I just think that this thing has run its course. Oh. I think, yeah, that like if uh, I'll throw it, I'd say they fire Urban Meyer, and um, Pete goes to the, the Jaguars, you know, replaces him, and they trade Russ to the Saints. You get a bunch of picks, and you know, Jameis or whatever, not Taysom Hill, please no, uh, and whatever Simeon, whatever you just get a bunch of picks, maybe the players or something like that, and Russ gets paired up with Sean Payton. I could see both of those Pete and Sean, uh, Pete and Russ excelling in their new in their new roles on their new team. I don't I don't think those two are particular. Like they've been bad at their jobs recently. Russ most in the last like calendar year and uh, or the last twelve months or whatever. And then uh, Pete at the personnel side of his job, he's been pretty poor I, for quite some time. But I mean, you see all the time where a coach just underperforms somewhere else and then goes somewhere else and kind of figures it out, whether he learns, takes a year off or whatever. And a quarterback, sometimes a change of scenery does really, you know, can help you. You know, um, I think like Alex Smith was an interesting example going from San Francisco to Kansas City, um, like you know, even Washington with uh, Kirk going from there to Minnesota. Like there is some situations where you can just go somewhere else and you know get your groove back or whatever, uh, depending on the play caller that you're with. I don't think it's a coincidence that some of the uh, teams that Russ had on his list were teams that were, they had guys who were considered better play callers than Pete. You know, he went to go to the Raiders, John Gruden is considered offensive mind. Um, where'd he also want to go? Dallas. Dallas. Where they got um, Kellen Moore. Chicago. Uh, Chicago. I don't know. That one didn't make sense. Uh, I, don't know what Russ was, <laughs> I don't know what Russ was thinking there. And the other team, was, well, I think it was New Orleans. Was it New Orleans? Yeah, yeah. it was the Saints. Played with Sean Payton. Like, I rest, there's a world where both of them leave and do fine. That sucks for us, but it, you know they, they they would do fine. Yeah, like I just think this particular thing has run its course with those two, and that's important to note. It's not just this year; it's been festering for a little bit, um, as we will probably discuss here 
uh, with some of these tw- brilliant Twitter, tw- Twitter questions from our listeners. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, we got a bunch. We're going to answer as many as we can because, boy, I feel like we got a thousand. We had yeah, 72. And I'm like, damn. I wish they would have won. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. I'm try to keep them. I got my stopwatch ready. I'm not going to go long-winded if I don't have Well, to. I mean, if you do, this will be a two-hour podcast. Yeah, see, I don't want to do that. I need to get some sleep. <laughs> I haven't sl- I slept in t- seat 22F on a Delta flight, you know, from D.C., so that's not enough. Right. Let's challenge ourselves to do this in 30 minutes. All right. Okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> give it a shot. Let's see what we can do it, guys. All right. Which candidates could you look for? at for the head coaching spot if the Seahawks decide to split ways and then follow up. Where do you think games are won in the National Football League? Position group, defensive line, offensive line, DB, QB. If you had to pick two positions, what would they be? Okay. Um, I will go the coach thing first. I haven't, I have to do a lot more research if I really endorse a coach, but like Kellen Moore is the one that jumps out. I know he's been mentioned for a bunch of coaching jobs in college. I'm like, why would he do that? Why would you go from the offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys to anything in college? Like for real, there's no college job um, that is like a natural step up from killing or kicking butt as the OC of the Cowboys. That's crazy to me. Um, So yeah, he's, he's one I would consider like if they were to just, all right, let's go find an offensive mind. Let's run with, with Kellen. Um, I don't know a ton about Byron Leftwich, um, but he's an interesting one. And then obviously Eric Bieniemy; those would probably be my top three. Maybe I'm missing somebody, um, but for me personally, that's probably where I, I would go. I just think that, I, and I'm with the homie Shokapadia on this. You hire an offensive guy because if you hire a defensive guy, your success is probably going to rely on whether you uh, whether he hires a good offensive guy. And then if he's an offensive guy. Uh, you're just going to lose him anyway after like two years when your offense is good, you know, as you're, you're seeing with like Tennessee and what you're probably starting to see with some other teams when they hire a good offensive coordinator and they have a defensive minded head coach, the OC is just keep getting poached and you have to keep finding a new one. So to avoid that problem, get you a McVay or Shanahan, an offensive minded um, head coach. Um, so those are the names that pop out to me. Maybe I have some more as the year progresses. Um, the second part of that was what wins or what position groups win the most there's a couple ways to go with that i would probably lean towards offensive line and quarterback just because i think there's a direct correlation not even i don't have to think there's a direct correlation if you score more points than the other team then you'll win literally every game uh, that's just huh. the, the goal of football score more points than the other team so if you increase the ways that you can score Right. What do I need? I need a good old line to block for my quarterback. And if my quarterback's nasty, then we're good. Uh, And then 
if we have a good old line, then we can run it as well. Because that's the key. It's all right, my quarterback's nasty, so they're trying to make us uh we're, we're a throw first team, so they want to make us a run first team now. They want to take that explosive passing game away. Well, great. We have a great O-line, and it doesn't even matter if the running back's that good. I can get you a fourth-round pick out of North Carolina, probably, and just run behind the best O-line in the league, and then I'd be fine. So I think those two position groups are the one where I would really want my GM to kill it at. Um, obviously, you don't want to suck at any group, but if you're building a team, give me five fat dudes who can block, and then give me a quarterback with a gun. And that sounds accurate. More and more, I want accuracy more than arm strength. To be clear, uh, but like <laughs> those two position groups, if you if you have if you got it, look at the run. There's very few teams who have both of those things and then suck, unless they have historically bad defenses. For the most part, you give me a top ten O line and a top ten quarterback, I give you a division winner at the very least. That sounds like when we played flag football on Saturday mornings at Mercer. When I would say, hey, guys, don't draft a bunch of fast guys. How about you get some fat men that can protect you so when you throw the ball, it doesn't matter. Yeah, It doesn't matter. Protection matters and run blocking matters. That's where the Seahawks have really failed um, is that you have the quarterback. Even if he's got limitations, you have to put a good old line in front of him. Uh, After a while, you just won't. If you're not doing that, you you won't succeed. As we probably would all expect, you said you suspect change will be coming. What would be the first step of change, and when do you think that'll be? All right, set the timer here. Uh, I don't think that they'll make any changes during the season. I just don't see any benefits. That I mentioned that to someone on Twitter as well. I just don't. There's really no benefit. It doesn't send a. It's just symbolic at this point. You still have to play the games, and it's the NFL. You know, I think college uh, is pretty stupid when they do this too. They fire one guy. It's like. I guess like we still have all the other same staff members who he hired who probably weren't doing their jobs at a high level anyway. Now I'm a lot, we're, we're Washington state grads. So we can see how far one guy could have an impact, you know, but at the same time we fired four coaches, you know, whereas you look at like the Huskies fired Jimmy Lake and was like, we still have all the same problems, fired their OC and still had all the same problems. I know those are two college examples, but I think it's, you know, our fan base is pretty local. So I think that that illustrates like you don't really like look at the coaches who get fired during the year. Their teams don't usually just rally it out, right? They're usually just still bad, whether it's a Bill O'Brien or Dan Quinn or I think who else got fired mid seasons in, in recent years that are examples. Um, I think Ron Rivera got canned around this time whenever he did for Carolina. It's like, what did that do for Carolina? It's like nothing. You can't interview coaches any sooner, right? You still have to wait until their, their seasons are over. I think they're tweaking that rule now, but uh, I, to my knowledge, it hasn't changed. So, yeah, I see no reason to um, – I just don't see the the advantage, I guess, for like, oh, let's fire Pete today. Uh, like, is that symbolic? Does that say, oh, middle finger to Pete Carroll? Like, sure. But what does that actually do? Does it make you any better going forward? I don't think. Uh, you're just putting other people in charge who they might not, not have been good at their jobs either. So um, I, I think that – the first step um, to that question or to what does change look like is I really think it centers around the quarterback. Um, I, I wrote that and I got a lot of this pushback. I was like last week or something. It's like, nah, you start with Pete Carroll. It's like, no, you fundamentally, if you're Jody Allen, you sit down, say, do I want Russell? Start there. Why? It's, it gets real simple after that. Do I want Russell? Yes. All right. What am I willing to do to keep him? That's like your little flow chart. Do I want Russ? Yes. All right. What am I willing to do to keep him? Am I willing to get rid of 
uh, Pete and John? Am I going to have to be? Like, the yes there, it gets you to your necessary steps. If the answer is no, you don't want Russ. I don't care what the answer is. I'm just saying, ask the question. If you want Russ, all right, get, if you, no, then get Pete and John up out of here. Or then get him up out of here. Tell Pete and John they can trade Russ. And you you go you go with them. I just think it's real simple to just be like, I right, do I want Russ or not? That that gives you the 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 flow chart necessary to you know get this thing rebuilt. I would probably lean towards what we talked about, like you said, keeping Pete or excuse me, keeping Russ. Uh, but either way, you just start with that fundamental question: Do I want Russell Wilson? Um, I think you can get into more questions and someone else mentioned this too. The other the other question you can start with, and I think this is a fair one. Um, first off, no one's getting rid of Pete and John unless Ru- that's what Russ wants. And that's why I also don't think you start with the Russ th- or you don't start with the staff. You start with the quarterback. You're not going to get rid of those two figures if, if that's not what Russ wants in, in my head. Uh, the other part is someone said the question maybe is what does Russell want? And I think that's you can start there too. I think that if you're Jody, you can go to Russ and like, hey, what, what actually do you want? Do you want to do this thing with us? Would you like me to get rid of them? Like, what what do you want? So I think you do start with those questions. Um, and honestly, in any form, in any order that Jody would like. But she, Jody Allen, owner of the team, Paul Allen's sister. Um, you start with those questions. And when you when you get the answers, what does Russ want? Do I want Russ? Um you get the answers to those questions, then you can start rebuilding. I honestly, I'm going to start writing about those questions and those answers in the coming month or whatever. But right now, I'm just saying that's where you start with the rebuild is, is asking those questions to the right people. What's up with Carlos Dunlap's quiet season? He vanished practically overnight compared to what we saw from him last season. Yeah, you know, that's a really fair question. I mean, I think Carlos still is up there in pressures. Uh, he's got 18. Um, which is not it's fourth behind Kerry Hyder, Dale Taylor, and Rasheem Green. Carlos has a half sack. Um, pressure percentage is this is so great. I love when I can pull up the numbers live on the show. He's third among the defensive line in a pressure percentage behind Daryl Taylor, who's at 11.2. That's just really good. And then Alton Robinson leads the team at 12.4. Basically, whenever Alton's in, he ain't in much, but he's just getting a lot of pressure. Uh, Carlos is one of the best players in the league at batting passes down, and probably maybe that's just because he's really tall. Um, but I haven't done a full-on study on this, but I, I, my theory is that the change in the fronts, uh, I don't know who we've talked about the fronts with, maybe Cliff Averill, the, the bare fronts, how they have a line, makes it puts five guys on the line of scrimmage, but the two guys on the edges basically have to be outside linebackers. That's something that people have complained to us about a lot. It's like, why is Carlos dropping in coverage? Why is Ben Samayola in coverage? Why is Brian Monet in coverage? Why is Puna Ford Al Woods in coverage? These are all great questions. Um, there's logical answers to some of them, but the scheme has basically said, all right, Carlos, all right, Daryl, all right, Alton, all right, uh, Benson, you're not just five techniques or Leos or whatever. You're essentially outside linebackers. And that, I don't think that's something that fits Carlos at all. I think the scheme change has screwed him and it's basically limited him to being like a third down weapon, a really expensive pure pass rusher on third down situations. And I don't think that that's, he hasn't excelled enough in those situations. He's getting a lot of double teams and stuff like that. I think it's a combination of things. Performance on his part when he's getting the limited opportunities. It's how quick teams are getting the ball out on Seattle. Their average time to throw, I believe, is pretty low. Like low, I mean, like teams are getting it out fast. The Seattle gets a lot of screens. 
So the ball is getting out fast. I think they lead the league in screens thrown against them, which if you watch the Seahawks game, you can understand why teams would just call a, a bunch of screens. And then the other part is the scheme. The scheme, I think that that change in particular really has screwed Benson and Carlos. It's asked them to be versions of what KJ Wright was last year, and they are just not that. Ooh, I like that answer. That was good. Got that in two minutes. If the offense continues like this, will Waldron be back next season? Especially when factoring Pete could also be out of there. Um, okay. Timer started. I'm not really sure. So if you keep Pete, I would imagine he gives Shane another run at it, regardless of who the quarterback is. And if you start to listen to Pete in these more recent press conferences, you can see like he's leaning pretty pro Shane. Like you ask him how Shane's doing and he gives all these excuses. He gives you all the things Shane hasn't had to work with. The alignment that have been hurt, not having Chris Carson, losing Russ. Like Pete goes to those things first. Like he he's he's giving his guy the benefit of the doubt. Even listen to him talk about the Washington game. Like he was very Pete basically made a sign. He's like, look, Shane's scheme guys open, Rustin couldn't hit, you know, hit the broad side of the ball. That's ex- that's essentially what Pete was saying after the game. And he's not wrong, but like the, the fact that he's even willing to do that uh, is showing that he's giving Shane the benefit of the doubt. So if Pete's here. I do think that Shane gets at least another run at it. Probably, like I said, regardless of who the quarterback is. You know, let's say if there was a trade rush, get a hole, maybe trade him from Philly or the Giants, or even if you did get Taysom Hill back or something like that, you know, give Shane a chance to have a running game, have a healthy quarterback for a year. I do agree that, like, gauging your offensive coordinator with a year, with not a full year of one quarterback is... That, that could be a quick trigger, especially with a guy who's in his first year doing the damn job. Um, so do I think it matters who the OC is as long as Pete and Russ are here? No, we've talked about that a lot. Um, but if Pete stays, I do think Shane is safe for the time being. I do think that Shane Pete watches the tape, and I watch a little bit of it too, and I see that like, oh, okay, Shane is scheming some guys open. At the same time, their play action rate, their motion rates and stuff like that. It's not where I want it to be. But when I hear Pete talk about the relationship between run game and play action success, that makes me think that that's more like just of a Pete thing in terms of play action numbers and all that versus a Shane thing. So yeah, short short answer is I think Shane is safe if Pete is safe. If Pete goes, then yeah, the, the whole staff is, is gone and we just kind of build from there. I don't think if Pete goes, Shane can stay. Like the work with just Russ. I think if Pete goes, Shane goes too. Other than winning the Super Bowl, what's both of your favorite moments of the Seahawk era? Ooh, that's a good moment. Keep... Excuse me. Um, I, I think I have I have a, a bunch. Um, but mine's mine's probably just the the tip uh, with Sherm. I just I saw I saw so much of my myself and Sherm at the time. Uh, just because like I felt I'm smart, I'm smart, and people didn't think I was as smart as I looked because of it, the way we looked. I don't look like Sherm, but I look like Sherm. That makes sense. Like he's just taller, similar skin complexion, hair about the same length. You know, just really consider ourselves to be really smart individuals. Like I would have went on TV and told Skip Bayless, "I'm better than you too." You know, like all that stuff. Like I and then for the way Sherm was treated after that, with how the word "thug" got thrown around after he screamed on a. Uh, the reporter lady Aaron Andrews I think maybe that just but Sherm brought so much of just being a badass 
to an underground city. We're an underground sports town. We're not Boston, LA, or New York. We're not front runners. And Sherm brought part of that, like, yo, no, yes, the hell we are. I'm the best <laughs> right here, right now. Uh, so, yeah, I thought the tip for reasons for myself, but also just because it sent him to the Super Bowl also it was great. But, yeah, that, that's, that was probably, that's probably if I had to pick one moment, that's my favorite. I would go with Beast Quake, and that's because that it was – I remember watching that game live on TV and if I feel I swear I felt like an earthquake. Like I just felt like I was in the stadium watching Marshawn get off me, little boy, child, and then he dives in the end zone holding his, you know what? That was iconic. I mean, hell, when I started playing flag football again, I was diving in the end zone holding my stuff, you know? <laughs> I was letting everybody know I'm in there. And that was just a fun moment. A smile comes to my face as I think about it and watching him do it. It was that's a beast right there, man. He literally, I think he broke like six tackles. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, those are too good. Those are, too, and we're picking people as much as we're picking a moment too. Like Marshawn and Pete define, or excuse me, Marshawn and Sherm define the era because of who they were personally and yeah. how they performed, but how they, how, who they were as a person influenced how they performed in a very unique way. Like when Marshawn was a run through a motherfucker's face type of guy as a person and then his play matched that. Sherm was arrogant in your face and a badass his play matched that uh so yeah that's, that's a good pick a good pick it's a good question by whoever threw that out there any idea why the rest of us longtime seahawks fans continue to put ourselves through the hope ringer any hope you can give them um yeah there's some there's some hope i think that if um I think you can build it if you have a top 10 quarterback, which at the worst, I think Russ is the sample size is there. I think he's one. You can rebuild the thing. I think you don't have to just bottom out. I think you can you can fix it. I think you've seen you just have to draft better. You look at what teams like that have kept their quarterback and their coach together. You look at like the Saints keeping Drew. How long did Drew Brees and Sean Payton do that, man? Like 15, 16 years or something like that. And it wasn't always pretty that whole time. You know, the Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record. I don't I don't think. Um, but like you look at how they've built around Big Ben when he's been really good, like Big Ben had years, he's like top five guy, and then it was like a top 10 guy, and then he'll deteriorate a little bit, but they they draft so well that they can put guys around him um, to compliment him. Um, and then like they had to change coaches, obviously, like Aaron Rodgers. But the goal in each of these situations is have the have the quarterback and build around him. And I think you can do that with Russ. That's that would be my kind of thing with the hope. I don't I don't see much hope for reasons I outlined at the start of the podcast to just trade Russ, get a bunch of draft picks, and then give them to Pete and John. We're, I, there's no reason over the last like seven years or whatever to suggest that that's going to lead you to a rebuild. It's it's just not in, in my mind. I don't see the evidence to suggest that. Quandre deserves some serious bread in the offseason. Bobby Wagner, he deserves another shot at a ring. As much as this fan would love to see those two playing for the Hawks next season, how realistic do you think that actually is? Uh, I really I wish the Seahawks would have paid Quandre, not because he's a friend of the show, um, but like he's a good player. Like people are seeing it. Like he should be a Pro Bowler. He leads uh, NFC uh, free safeties in, in, in Pro Bowl votes. Like he's a baller. Like he plays the game the right way. He, you know, he's he's, he's a good player. The reason I wanted to pay him, wanted them to pay him before the year is because they're not going to be able to afford him. After I knew he was going to play well. Right. So it's like, all right, if Quandre's already like a top 10 safety and and I think he's going to have another good year. And then now he's like, oh, legitimately like a top five safety in a contract season. 
and he's only he's gonna turn 29 in january i was like you guys are fooling yourselves it's the it's almost like the frank clark shaquille griffin dilemma that they had before those final years like if you don't pay them right now in august by march they're gonna be way more than you want to spend and i could see that you could see that coming in both scenarios and i could because i watched those play out i could see those coming with with quandre um and i don't think that sadly it's i think it's gonna be really hard if you rebuild if any form of those rebuilds happened bringing bobby back at that cap number i could see them not wanting to do i think his cap number goes up to like 20 million or something i'll look it up while you get to the next question but like do i think bobby has value of course i think he's a stabling force in a way that's just hard to quantify every team needs those vets you need those vets who just are that present in the moment guy who they rally around other, other dudes rally around them like go listen go listen to trey brown's press conferences and talk about and listen to how much bobby meant to him uh just getting his mind right when he had those knee injuries how much uh, bobby's meant to jordan brooks getting his mind right teaching him how to watch film you do need those vets it just comes down to do you need those vets at like whatever percentage of the cap they're on like it, it's a you know there's a hard hard salary cap so like would i keep them sure but not even sure absolutely yes um but because i think there's so much little value in that that affects other guys on the team that you need to develop these draft picks that you need to hit on but i could easily see any form of a rebuild being like at this cap number we just can't feasibly make that make that happen and increase the roster in the ways we need to i've noticed russ doesn't even look at dk despite washington football team playing man without safety help on crucial thirds down third downs why isn't russ giving him those opportunities um real quick on bobby yeah next year cap number is 20.3 million so that's um, that's going to be hard to to hold on. And he doesn't have any guaranteed money left after this year. It looks like they saved 16.6 mil if you were to uh, cut him or something. So, yeah, that's – I don't think they should do that, but that's just – it's the NFL. We've seen this. Um, so he does look at DK, but I, I think it's it, it really is it, – it, it's such a product of one of Russ's deficiencies as a player. Uh, not deficiencies is too strong, but just limitations. Um because you would see that a lot of the players have this. Tyler's had stretches. Tyler's had like ha like entire halves of seasons where it's like, are you on the team? Like, yeah. it's so weird. You know, Doug didn't have a ton of them, but like, if you've like a fantasy helps us really keep this in perspective of how productive guys are being. Like, there would be some stretches where like, man, it's been like a month and Doug's had like two catches a game, you know, or something like that. One of them would be like a big play action touchdown or something like that. But like, why can't we force feed our guy even though the defense knows it's coming the way like big ben was able to feed ab and you know um and big ben even able to feed that deontay johnson dude every goddamn week those that to do those that dude a lot or like how the texans were able to feed d hop or the way the packers feed adams uh there's just so many examples around the league and i think that it's not even he does look at him um but it's just not enough i feel like they try to Here's, here's here's my theory on it. This is the short version of it. I think they try to let the defense... They let the defense dictate how DK is going to get the ball instead of forcing that issue. Like, force them to adjust to how you're getting DK the ball. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, 
Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah. There's no way in hell, I don't care what, I don't care if they triple team DK on every play, that you should have offense where DK don't get a target for the entire half. Okay, I mean, 30 wait. minutes. Just honestly, I tweeted this during the game. Sometimes just snap the ball and throw it to him. That's it. There's there's a really good example of them doing this. And I really I really think it was an option. I need to ask Russ. I think it's a it's the Dolphins in 2020, week four. Yes. Uh I think it looks like a run play, and but Russ just snaps him. it, throws it to DK. He makes Get it on. miss and picks up like 30 yards down to the yes. one. I think Chris Carson scores in the next play. It's like you can do that. Guys play off of DK enough especially when he's on the short side of the field. So it's a shorter throw. Like if he just catches it, turns right or left, doesn't matter. Like on the short side of the field, you can get there real fast. DK makes the guy miss. And you that's basically a run play. No, you don't put your quarterback in harm's way. Your linemen aren't asked to like do a lot of pass sets. It's just whoop, boom, boom. I really don't understand why the, even that. Are those going to gain a bunch of yards every time? No, but it's just another thing you have to defend. Because how do you stop that, Chris? Well, then the corner's got to come up. Up, you know, it just changes everything. You know, that's that's how you dictate what you're gonna do, or you dictate what they're gonna do based on how you are performing, not the other way around. Like, oh, they're playing us like this, so here's how we'll use DK. No, man, DK is a freak of freaking nature, man. So, yeah, I'm I, that's not gonna change though. That's why another reason why I think this is broken. They're not gonna start changing that in week 13. DK's in year three, even when Gino was the quarterback, but DK would have these long stretches where he just didn't get the ball. Not even a target, not catches. I'm talking targets. It's just crazy that this this stuff happens, man. I, that's one of those things where I'm with the fans. Like I don't have a good answer for that, and it's stupid. The answers they give us are stupid, and I, I really don't have. I can't. I can't help that. that it's just a broken uh, scheme. How was Jordan Brooks developing? With hindsight, would you have re-signed KJ Wright? Uh, I I think Jordan's fine. I do think that needing to take him off the field to make your third down defense better is quite the red flag for a first round pick you shouldn't have to come off the field um in those situations like and i mean that the dime package you swap ryan neal for jordan Brooks. i shouldn't have to do that with you for a first round pick maybe a second round guy um but like i know bobby's the extreme example but like even look at kj Wright. kj Wright was a fourth round pick and you don't have to do that. You didn't have to do that with him. You know, Bobby's a second round pick. And it's like, all right, yeah, he's obviously a three down guy. I mean, even now, look how Bobby played the that seam ball uh, that ends up getting picked by Jamal. Perfect, perfect read of this. Lewis Riddick talked about on the broadcast. You carry the, you carry the number three up the, up the seam uh, and makes it a hard throw. Quandre whacks him. Bobby actually gets a hand on the ball. I didn't realize that um, in real time. So, like, he's a three down guy. I want a three down linebacker in the first round. So I think that's where I'm kind of at. Even if you're really good on those first and second downs, like I need you at least out there on th- on third down. They were taking him off the field third down last year in favor of KJ. Uh, and would I have signed? Would I have kept KJ? Yeah, in part because not just a Jordan thing. A for the screen game because huh. there's no way they should be this bad at defending screens. And Jordan has taken a lot of the blame for that. And I think that's that's part that's part of it. Uh, the other part is. Be, it, not having KJ has forced them to basically ask Ben Mayo and Carlos Dunlap and other guys to be the coverage outside linebackers. It was like, that's not their thing. We saw that in the first Raider game in the preseason, all in Robinson covering Zay Jones 
uh, on a wheel route. And everybody's like, Mike, what the hell is this scheme? I was like, I get the scheme, but it's like, if you're, if you're doing that at the expense of having those guys rest the passer, it's like, you might as well have just kept KJ. Which players should the Seahawks keep for a rebuild and which ones should they let go to accumulate draft picks, cap, you name it? Okay, this is tricky. I got the timer on this one. It just depends on which direction you want to go. Like, if you want to keep... Okay, here's the tricky part. Last offseason, there was a real good argument that they would have been better off... Maybe not better off in the short term, but the long-term play was to trade Tyler. And knowing that you have to pay DK this year and then just drafting a receiver. Because remember, last year's receiver draft was really heavy. Um, they could have drafted Bondale. Could they have? Dra- no, he go- maybe he went he before. Went before I think so. But I'm saying, but you would have had a. Let's say you traded him to the Jacksonville Jaguars or something like that, and got a second round pick in the 30s or something like that. Maybe you get like Elijah Moore that's on the Jets right now, right? And you get him on a rookie deal with DK. If they all miss together, I think yep. you have a lot more cap space. Maybe you can use that on linemen or something like that. You take a little bit of a step back in the passing game, but maybe that makes your pass pro. Uh, better. Maybe then you use a little bit of that money to bring in another veteran or something like that. I don't know. You bring in like, I don't freaking know. Tashawn Jackson, Marvin Jones. I don't know. Just some like low cost dude or something like that. Um, and then you pay DK and kind of roll with that because now you can't really move Tyler's contract. You can't move Jamal's contract. You can move Bobby's, but you're not going to get anything for that. You can move Russ's quarter- contract, but then you don't have a quarterback. Um, you could the only person that's getting you a first round pick that's not Russ in this year's draft is DK. Uh, and I just I don't I could see easily like like, Mike, we can't pay DK 25 million a year. I'm like, you could, I would like that dude. I would find ways to get that guy the ball. It's really, I think, yeah, I think he's just a monster. So it depends on which direction you want to go. I think you're basically just gonna unload guys eat a bunch of guaranteed signing bonuses you've already given to get day three picks like how many people are realistically getting you a day two pick if you trade them right now that that aren't russ dk gets you a first for sure like but then after that who are you moving to get picks i really don't think anybody you move bobby you might get a day three just because his cap hit so high um maybe you get a late day two Uh, but then now you need a linebacker right so you just create uh, another problem right so it's like i you can't move tyler's contract it's too new you could tag maybe and trade quandre but you need a free safety it's like you know what i'm saying like this i don't think they're in a position to just unload they've kind of put themselves into a win now type of type of thing the only person like i said the only person that's on a on in a frank clark type of situation that you could trade is dk and that i mean you could there's other receiver talent coming up in the draft too. I just don't think that that's what I would do because I think DK is a goddamn beast. Uh, so yeah, it's tough, but he's really the only movable piece, I think. Unless you want to get rid of like Jordan Brooks or something. Worst case, Russ trade. Where does Russ land? The worst case, Russ trade? Mm-hmm. Well, in the division, it's the worst one. Um, but I, I don't have a second not- one after that. Yeah, the worst one is you like you get like Trey Lance or something like that from the Niners and uh they just cut Jimmy G or something and then you give Russ Kyle Shanahan that O line and that run game. And you're like, well damn. 
Now they're just going to, and then you give him the weapons, all of those yards after catch weapons like Debo and Debo. George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and stuff. And it's like, good Lord, you know, that that's like the worst case. Um, and then what's the most likely? Uh, I think the most likely is the, is the, probably the Saints. Because remember, Russ has got the no trade. So he's got to agree to the team. And he's going to want to go somewhere with competent ownership that's proven they can build around a quarterback with a good play caller. And I think that the Saints check those boxes. Um, ideally, it would be an AFC team. I just don't think the AFC teams check those boxes. The Raiders don't without Gruden in Russ's eyes, I don't believe. Um, and even with Gruden, their ownership's just not great. So I could see that being an issue. So ideally, if you're Seattle, you send them to an AFC team. But I think a bunch of NFC teams um, make some sense. The only AFC team that you could possibly think is Miami. Um, but who knows how long their coach is going to last over there and how their GM and ownership structure looks. So I wouldn't, Russ isn't going to Houston, not for, not to play with that, uh, ownership. So I think the saints is like the most likely in my head. Has the offense been bad since week one and how much of the blame is on Russ and how much is it on Shane? So the one thing I'll say about this is that the offense has been bad in spots and been okay in those first four weeks, they were okay. Um, they're, they're putting up decent enough points. They were just bad in third quarters, if you guys remember that. But I do think that the thing I have about week one, and I asked Shane Waldron about this, and he just danced around it, and it was annoying. But aesthetically, it looked a certain way. We were so hyped after week one. I wrote about all these things that they were doing that looked cool, and they worked against a team that I thought had a good defense. And they stopped doing all of that stuff. They, I mean, they do a little bit of it here and there, but it was, it seemed like they were in their bag that first game aesthetically. I'm talking about how the designs of the plays looked and were executed. Now, the blocking was good in some of those, a couple of bad coverages on the deep uh, balls to Tyler that kind of, kind of helped um, make the numbers look a little better. But like, I just thought in general, aesthetically, it looked cool against Indy and it's never even looked like that again it just looks dry they do a little bit of the motion stuff and the play action numbers are getting better but it's like you guys don't even it doesn't look that cool uh to me anymore and maybe that and I just don't know my next goal I have a lot of goals but one of them is to find out why that happened why after week one it stopped looking like that. I don't know the answer that's one of the things on my chat I got my notepad right here um I'm gonna find out that's on my list of things to find out because that makes no freaking sense. Are we learning that Pete Carroll was right all along and not building the offense around Russ in the past and that this whole time Russ capped out as a Ferrari version of Ryan Tannehill and that he'll always be at his best and play action complement to the running game? Um, I think there's some things that were right about Russ that were dismissed while he was playing really well. You know, the, the height thing. The, the middle of the field thing, the tempo thing, the quick game thing. I think there were a lot of criticisms early in his career that were getting dismissed because he was so goddamn good and the team was so goddamn good. But you even heard some of it from like his teammates or you heard like rumblings in the locker room. Um, and there were like GMs would like go anonymously say, anonymously say that type of stuff. And, and I think it's always been true. It's just how true was it and how much it mattered. That's the thing. It's like, how much did it matter? Like, okay, Russ doesn't throw the middle field um, that that much. Okay, how much does that matter? Because he's still 
balling every year, protecting the ball every year, accurate every year, explosive players every year, um, making Pro Bowls every year. So how much did it matter? Um, and the answer was not very much because also he was a very good scrambler and improviser. Now that started to change a little bit. And remember, that's one of the things that Shadi came in and changed like, hey, bro, you're not about to be triple axling in the backfield here. We're going to work on your footwork and you stop turning your back and taking 12 yard sacks when you get flustered. And that's something that Shadi really did like another aesthetic thing like that. That did change. If you go back and look, it, it definitely he stopped spinning around, getting cracked for 13 yards and would then like just crouch down, have those little quick feet and then find find his guys and step up in the pocket a lot more. So I think there were some things, not just Pete, but there was a lot of criticisms that are just getting, uh, what's the word? I got to think of a word here, Chris. Exacerbated, accentuated, highlighted. Just, it's all just of more, those. Yeah, all of this is more on display now. Like Russ has always been like a below average third down passer statistically. That's just kind of, it's not even like an opinion thing. Like you go look at his third down stuff. Outside of 2015, the Seahawks aren't like a great third down team. Third and medium, they're okay. But then like, obvious passing situations on third down they've just been bad for the whole decade rust like all of those limitations always existed and they were always right it's just a matter of how much they mattered um they just matter a lot more now and the running game matters more than ever perhaps now and then now it's just not there i don't know if if, if pete necessarily needs to build around the run game i still think you build around rust but you build around rust with a complementary running game you know not the other way around not like the jets were built with mark sanchez and ground and pound like if they still think you can air it but you should be able to have that counter punch of a run game if they try to take it away um but i do think we're all seeing now those limitations that people talked about with russ's height and where he'll throw the field and the ability to run a quick game offense that that was all right it just didn't matter because they were he, he was still one of the best quarterbacks in the league and now he's not performing like that so now it all the, the, how much does it matter has increased in the last like year and change any big time free agents you can see in the offseason that the hawks could a afford and b would make a serious impact Ooh man I th- oh, that's that's a tough one i don't know who's scheduled to be a free agent man I, you want you want to start wide receivers where you want to start mike uh give me some give me some, well they, they need tackles they need offensive tackles both their tackles are scheduled to be free agents so that that's tough i'm not sure that might be something we have to revisit uh after the year and i gotta look at the draft too um that's when i'm that's i'm a little early on that one i can give you some tackles give me yeah jason kelsey he's a little old he's a veteran but that could be useful matt paritis ryan jensen justin Britt, ben jones tyler shatley austin corbet these Nick names, Martin. These names are not. This no sounds one. Like a lot of centers too. Uh, yeah, this is not sounding great. Yeah, I just I think that that that's going to be a tough position for them. Maybe they rely on Stone Forsythe next year and uh, hasn't played a snap. Red shirt. Yeah, and then they've got the red shirt on the Jake Curran guy from Cal. Um, if they were to hit on both of those, that would be crazy. Um, <laughs> perhaps I think Mike Slari is a good old line coach for what it's worth. Really good one. But yeah, they've got to build there. They've got to build in the trenches again. Like, like I said to the other question, if you give me an O-line and you give me a quarterback, I will bring you back a good offense. It doesn't even matter what else you give me after that. Give me good O-line, good, good quarterback. I'll take care of the rest. 
Is Russ unhealthy or cooked? He hasn't looked right all year and a good chunk of last season as well. I don't think it's unhealthy. I, he's definitely not right. I, I I can't know how much is tied to the finger. I don't have his finger. My fingers look fine. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I look at his finger. Finger looks cool. You know, I can't. I don't know about the health part. I know he doesn't look right, but I can't like explain why he looks right. At least place it on his finger. Uh, I will say, I think it really, it more goes back to, he's not cooked either. It just goes back to what he's not good at is just more on display. I like exacerbated. That's got to be the way to use that word. How you spell that? I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I have okay. no idea. Oh, here you go. Exas- oh, that's exasperated. Is that what I want? No, exaster- exacerbated. There we go. Uh, make a problem or a bad situation worse. Yes. Boom. Exacerbated. Yes. What Russ's limitations have been that word more in the last like year and a, and a half. I just think that's that's what it is. Teams have kind of like, okay, cool. We're just going to make sure you can't kill us with the thing that you like to kill us with throwing the ball. Um, and there's just a natural way to do that with, you know, split safety coverages because you're protecting the numbers. You got a corner underneath. You got a safety over top. It's just such a natural coverage. That's like you have to throw over the middle of the field. You have to make that throw he made to Freddie Swain on the touchdown on Monday night. That was against split safety coverage. Say, uh, Freddie ran the uh, the post from the slot, I want to say, right into where you're supposed to throw it. Um, the linebacker safety, whatever, didn't cover. It covers Freddie up the field. Safety uh, is playing the outsides. Boom. That throw is what Russ doesn't hit routinely. And until he does, teams are just going to keep playing that coverage. So I don't think he's cooked or it's as much of the finger as much as his limitations are being. What's the word again, Chris? Exacerbated. Exacerbated. Yes, there's limitations are being exacerbated uh, in the last year or so. What does Pete Carroll do well as a coach? Oh, that's that that's an unfair. I think Pete Pete does some things good as a, Pete gets his players to play for him, and I think that's a really like underrated part of the. Look at the defense yesterday. Let's just look at that as an example. Them boys was they're getting left out to dry again in these last few like just their offense is just they're breaking records for three and outs like they how many three and outs they have in a row on Wednesday, on monday five like uh, five three and outs in a row i think it was the like second time it was a lot they've had five three and outs in a row and then their sixth punt after that was uh a five play drive and the defense was getting left to, like and, and look at how long that that final washington drive was it was like eight or nine minutes got down to fourth and goal at like the three and they were like look we still we have to keep fighting we have to believe there's a blade of grass we'll defend it i really think that that's that's uh i think that that, that's a pete thing his guys are do not fold like in that packers game they was fighting tooth and nail bro they was like dude we've held the packers to three points for three quarters bro can you guys at least score something and the offense was like nope you know, and it's like we done picked off Aaron Rodgers, like in the end zone. They're doing so much. They're they're believing in each other, even when at times when they're just a trash defense. And I I think that's an issue. That's a tribute to to a coaching thing. Yes, is it his yeah. fault the defense starts off bad in the first place? Maybe with the personnel. Yes, but just in general, I think to get guys to believe and play for you and play for each other. Maybe they're not even playing for him. Maybe they're just playing for each other. But I think that's that's a coaching thing too. I, I I think the last thing Pete's done, at least from my view, is has lose the locker room. Um, and I think that's look at all the coaches who get fired. Look at all the, the anonymous articles that come out about how many people just didn't like him and 
um, guys were tuning them out or whatever. Like, I think that while there's been some examples of Pete getting criticism from his players, you know, Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, even I think Doug to some extent, like at the end of the day, like when guys get on the field, they're either playing for the coaches or playing for the, the guy next to them. And that's the thing you, you can coach up. You know, I think that's, that's, he does a, a few other things well, and there's a bunch of things not well. But I think that that in particular is it's really hard to find guys who can who can do that year after year after year to get guys to play with them, especially in hard times. How do I, as a fan, cope with this season? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, find a vice, alcohol, uh, smoke some weed, or just don't watch. I've been telling people sometimes, especially if you um. If you overseas or something like that, like I've been telling, hey man, don't stay up till five a.m. to watch this. Like when they got flexed out of prime time for a week, uh, whatever week's coming up, it's like yeah, ain't nobody trying to see that. Like if you don't want to stay up till five a.m. because you're in Brazil or Spain or London or Germany or whatever, you ain't trying to watch it. Just don't watch. Yeah, nothing forces you to watch. I, I'm a Wazoo basketball fan. Them final years of them er, Ernie Kent days, I wasn't watching that. I wasn't gonna let that take my spirit. No, 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 no. So I think that's. That's an option that I don't think people really like legitimately consider because we're addicted to football in ways that we're not addicted to other sports. But I think if you've been a fan of uh, Husky athletics during their bad years, you know, some of the Willingham years or the end of those Romar years or some of the other just lean time periods uh, or the Mariners at all, like you've learned, just turn off the TV. You ain't got to watch. I think the Seahawks, we're not used to them being in that space, but yeah, they might be in that space too. They give you the GM cap, Mike. I just like to throw on the hat. Okay. I've got no hats on me right now, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Would you accept any of the following trades for Russ? Hertz plus two first round picks. Oh, Phil, yeah, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. Me. Yeah, let me give okay. you post names. Justin Fields plus two first round picks, three first round picks from the New York Giants or Miami, etc. Uh I I I would take the deals that have a quarterback in them over the deals that do not um so that would be jalen hurts plus two first round picks and justin fields plus two first round picks oh if you, give, if you give me fields and two first rounders i'm taking that i haven't watched a ton of him i just think that i think he's a better passer than jalen um i think with jalen you have to like legitimately run like a college offense like i think that that's kind of what i've come to you gotta basically rpo it up uh, and have him kind of run around, which is fine. Um, and Baltimore doing some of that in early Lamar years too. Um, but I think with, with Justin, you can start that way, kind of like you did with Russ. Like, okay, we're going to heavy play action you. We gonna, uh, But Justin will make them throws though. Oh boy, that boy ain't afraid. Um, and then you can ease him into like, okay, now you're the guy. Um, so I think that that's, I think Dak might have had a similar trajectory. So yeah, you that's the best one of those. You give me... Even I don't care if it's in the NFC. You give me, <laughs> you give me Justin and a couple firsts, because that way I don't have to be bad enough to be drafting a quarterback early. I already got my guy. So even if those picks I give you end up being anywhere from pick eighteen to pick thirty-two, I don't care because I don't need a quarterback. I just need a good player in that era in that uh, realm of the draft. Versus if from the Giants, if I take that deal or the Miami deal and I don't get Tua back, then I need to still draft. I still need to be bad enough. I need those picks to be high enough for me to get a quarterback rise so the other uh, like fields or whatever hurts i have the quarterback already so i'm good let's but I, think I, I think i like justin over Jalen. let's stick with the nfc and see what you think about this trade you think we could trade russ for daniel jones a first and a second 
Why would you do that? I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. <laughs> Daniel Jones is not good. You <laughs> think Daniel Jones is good? Hey, I just wanted to read that to you because I was Daniel like, Jones is not good, bro. He is not. He is like, he is bad. He's inaccurate from what I can tell. I don't have his numbers in front of me, but inaccurate from what I can tell. He turns the ball over a lot. And I just don't. I've talked. We talked about that before when I talked about Josh Allen in his earlier years. Hell, Carson Wentz. Yeah, yeah, Carson. Guys who turn the ball over a lot, that turns me off. Like I, I, I can't have that. Justin Fields' sack numbers are pretty high. Like his sack percentage is pretty high. Oh hell, Russell Wilson was last year. Yeah, I think Justin Fields and Russ have the two highest sack percentages. Uh, so maybe that's why I'm drawing to Justin. But uh, <laughs> I think I think I can build around. Just like I think you can build around Russ, I think you can build around Justin. I think he's gonna be. It wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being the best quarterback of that draft, even though Mac Mac Jones is is um, playing well. So yeah, I, I just wouldn't. Hell no. Just like I feel about Taysom Hill, I don't want Daniel Jones either. Daniel Jones is not good. What's the best case scenario for the rest of this season? That's a really fast. Is this the last one? That is it. Yeah, that's felt like the last one. I could just feel it. <laughs> um, best case scenario. That's a good question. They went out. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best because I do feel like <laughs> I do feel like you need to make change. I don't like. Do they make change at nine and eight? You know, like. And then what are the changes? Like when they went nine and seven. The change they made was Pete doubling down on this being Pete's team. And I'm not really sure how great of an idea that was. Like, if you remember, 2017, he fired Tom Cable, who had, like, personnel control as an assistant coach. Not good. Fired, fired Tom Cable, fired Daryl Bevel, fired, fired Chris Richard. And it was at a time period where it's like, oh, maybe this is Russ's team now. The Legion of Boom was hurt. Cam Chancellor was hurt. Cliff Everett was hurt. Um, I think they traded Michael Bennett. They cut, cut Sherm. Earl held out like it was very clear like if the if the, it's going to be Russ's team it's now and it seemed like it doubled down on being Pete's team it was like hiring his guy in Ken Norton um firing finding Brian Schottenheimer and then becoming the most run heavy team uh in the NFL uh drafting a running back in the first round like it was just this double down on Pete I thought after the 2017 season and I think you could get something very similar if you finish nine and eight this season Russ wasn't as pissed back then as he seems to be now but the point stands I think that nine and eight you could argue that 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 gets us closer to the status quo which actually gets us closer to being like three and 14 next year than it does being four 14 and three next year so I think the best case is Russ starts to play better but they still don't win out so that way Russ's trade value is still high if they need to do that um and I think that, yeah, I think that that's it. I really think it's just that Russ figures it out so he still has trade value. Because even if you don't trade him, you want the value to be there. I don't think that that's a good point. Yeah, winning out would be fun. But I don't think in the big picture that's the best the best thing. Although that is the best thing for this season. I don't know if that's the best big picture to go 9-8. Wow. Well, we got through it, Mike. Woo. We want to thank all of you out there for your Twitter questions. We set a record. New one. This another ball, another oh, bunch of Twitter questions. We appreciate it. Wow. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do next week or this week for the rest for another show. <laughs> I think this will be it until the Niners game, and then we'll go from there, and then we'll just have to pivot depending on if these guys keep losing. So uh, just stick with this. Shout out to everyone who subscribed. You guys, yes. a 1,000 on YouTube. Keep, uh, keep showing the love. It doesn't matter if you listen on Spotify, Apple, The Athletic, whatever, Google Podcast, wherever we're at. 
Um, we appreciate everywhere. all that love. Yeah, we're everywhere. So appreciate all that love. Keep showing us that love. We're gonna keep doing the show, even though these guys is poop soup. Uh, yeah, yeah, being being just scrubs uh, as a team every week. So um, appreciate you guys. We will, be, yeah. Like I said, this will be it until the Niners game. We'll come back after the the Niners game and talk about that, and then we'll proceed uh, from there. Um, maybe we'll line up some guests for you guys. But until then, we appreciate the Twitter questions. We appreciate the love. Uh, and we will catch you guys next week. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.